everybody. Welcome to Fuse. Hey, all across the state, you just saw that video next week, red versus green, Christmas party to end the year. If you joined uh, Fuse with us over the last year and you hadn't done a red versus green, it's just like a fun way that we end the year, big Christmas blowout. Um, so I think we'll have at the end of the night at your campus, you'll find out what team you're on. We split it up based on grades this year. So you'll find out what team you're on, and there's style points. We give away a ton of cool prizes. It's just a fun way to come be silly. And we have um, a guy named Keith Pittman who will be in town with us next week to come and preach. He was here. He and his wife were here earlier this year. We did a little Q&A with them. They're amazing. You're going to love them. So I want to say, the last thing I want to say about this with the Red Bear Screen, we're bringing high school and middle school back together next week. So for those of you, this is, I want to challenge because listening to me right now is only high schoolers. So let me challenge some of you high schoolers. I forgot this week, or I, I, I guess I remembered this week, how important, like, you guys are to middle school guys and gals. Like, uh, you know, watching some of our shout-out to Dutch Fork and Wren High School for state championships. Amazing. You don't even have to be, you don't have to go to one of those schools, but that's dope. If there's any other schools in our state that won that are represented, that aren't represented, I'm sorry. Shoot me a text, and I'll try to give you a shout-out or something. So that's awesome. But I was watching some of these state championship games, and it, it blew my mind how many middle schoolers were coming just to watch, like, the student sections of the high schools, right? Because... You guys are, you really are, like you're cooler to them than I am or than anybody else is. You are, they really look up to you. So if you know a 7th, 8th grader that really needs to be here next week, maybe they're on like the JV baseball team or JV cheerleading squad, maybe you know them from like your neighborhood or something, please invite them too to come be a part of this. Use your influence to bring them along with you next week to the Christmas party, all right? So then just to, while we're here on announcements, let me give you a couple other things. Then after that, <clears throat> the next weekend after that is, the, is our Christmas services at New Spring Church. We do those every year. They're awesome. Great time to bring your family, friends, people that come from out of town. So come be a part of those with us. We're actually doing something this year we've never done. We're going to do Christmas Eve service, like on Christmas Eve. It'll be candlelight. Actually, don't come to that one because it's going to be slammed. We're only going to have one of those. And you guys don't need to be there anyway because you don't have little children. If you do have little kids, come. If not, just stay home. Um, anyway, <clears throat> we just don't have space for you, so I don't care if you come or not. Um, and then we're going to take some time off. And next year, we're jumping in in January. Y'all are laughing. Like, seriously, we don't have space for you to come to the Christmas Eve service, so it doesn't matter if you come. You'll be sitting in the lobby. Um, we Then January, we're going to be jumping into a new, like, topic here at Fuse. We're going to be talking about identity. It's going to be awesome. What does it mean to be a human being? What makes me a guy? What makes you a girl? What? How are we supposed to relate to each other? What did God say when he made different things, and how does he feel about it? It's going to be awesome. And then later in the spring, we're going to do something that's really amazing. I actually got a chance a couple of weeks ago to go over to some um, Muslim countries, and we have a guy and his wife that are part of an underground church in a Muslim country that are going to be here next year to kind of share with us and teach us a little bit about faith and what that looks like. And so we, we're not going to be able to put that one on the internet, so you're going to have to be here in person for that. That'll, that'll be coming up next year. we got some incredible stuff coming, man. It's going to be awesome. So tonight, we want to do something a little bit different. <clears throat> I'm, I don't really have a message for you tonight as much as I do just have like an idea I want to throw at you. And then uh, we're going to practice a couple things. So let's, let's pray. Can we do that? Every campus, let's pray and jump in. God, we love you. And it is such an honor to be a part of your family and to have the idea of family redeemed by you. Um, you are a, you're the perfect father. And you know us and you love us and you come after us. And you save us and you fill us with your spirit. And you turn us into images of your son. 
and you fill us with purpose and you give us a, a, an idea of who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to accomplish. And God, it is so amazing to belong to you. So Holy Spirit, will you come and will you join our time tonight? Will you direct it to glorify the, the name of Jesus Christ above all else? Because really and truly, I promise that's what we all want. We want to get lost in the glory and the wonder and the goodness of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So come tonight, God, have your way. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. So we're spending a couple weeks talking about family here at Christmas time. And it's always interesting when we do this because we learn a lot about family. Um, <clears throat> you know that more people kill themselves at Christmas than any other time of the year? Doesn't that seem kind of wild? And I think, it's, I think a lot of it has to do with if, if somebody doesn't have an awesome family scenario, if somebody doesn't have a really good situation, it all kind of hits them at the same time. You know, like they're, there's just a lot of worry, a lot of stress, a lot of having to spend time with family, and it all kind of, it's, it's just interesting to me. And then you kind of learn about some things, but, it, but we learn about family, and for most of us, this isn't like scientific, this is just kind of my assumption based off the last, I don't know, handful of years. But I think like 5% of families, I think, based off the students that we have at our church coming to one of our campuses all across the state, I'd say 5% of our campuses... Um, you come from like super bad family, right? Like you don't know mom or dad or like mom or dad has a substance abuse problem or they walked out, like you have a really tough, right? Like 5% of our students, I would say, come from like really tough situation. And in those tough situations, most of the time when you see that, you see like extreme cases of poverty where there's a lot of like, can't, you know, you know what extreme poverty is like. Kids like have a really hard time, and then we have probably five percent of the kids at our campus somewhere where you come from the complete opposite end of the spectrum, where like mom and dad have you know millions and millions of dollars, and you drive an extremely nice car, and there's just you know life seems to be a little bit easier for you at least from a from a resource standpoint, and we all know who those people are in our school and all that stuff too. That's cool, and then the rest of us are somewhere in the ninety percent, like in the middle, right? Like some of us are on one end of the spectrum, some of us are, are in the other, but most of, the majority of people that you know, the majority of people that are in our leadership, that are kind of around, they come from families somewhere in the middle, which is, some families kind of cool sometimes, like we kind of like it, it kind of works out, and we have enough to kind of like do what we want a little bit, but sometimes it's not really there, and sometimes it is, and there's, there's like varying into the spectrums, right, but most everybody you know falls somewhere in the middle. And family is supposed to be like, and we're going to talk about this in the new year too, like God created, God came up with, he designed this idea of family. And he did it because his heart, his idea of family was it was, it was supposed to be this, this team, this network, this social place that you have, that you belong to, where you grow up, you, you're developed, it's like a safe place for you, where you get challenged, you get provided for, you get... You get, you know, it helps kind of shape you into who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do. It's like God's idea of family was extremely beautiful. And then somewhere along the way it gets broken and something, you know, things kind of fall apart. And so most of us are left with this idea of family that doesn't look anything like the way God intended it to. And we talked last week about how when you when you're in this, when you have a physically broken family. It's hard to acknowledge God the way he wants to be acknowledged, which is father, which is dad, right? We talk about this all the time. Like for most of us who have some sort of strange relationship with our earthly dad, it becomes difficult to see God as dad, as father, because we have a bitter taste in our mouth of what that means, or we have a, a, a kind of an anger or frustration or an uncertainty, or we have no idea, you know, whatever that looks like. And so we get to this verse in the scripture, we get to this passage of scripture that we look at so much, and I, I, I promise you, you've read this text somewhere. You, you've seen this Bible verse, 
you've read it, you've thought about it, you probably have it memorized. And we get to it, we get to this time of the year, and instead of this being a time of year where it's like exciting for us to get together, we end up looking at um, just a strange dynamic. And so we get to this passage in John chapter 3. And the book of John is an eyewitness account by a guy named John who walked around with Jesus all the time. And he's like handwriting all the things that he's seeing Jesus do because he wants to make sure they get passed down. And Jesus, in John chapter 3, it says this in verse 16. You know it. You can say it with me if you want to. Put it on the screen. We'll say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You know this verse. But I'll be honest with you. The longer you're in church, the longer you're around Christians who we get really religious from time to time and we get, we seem to be kind of mad about some of the right things or some of the wrong things and we seem to just kind of yell a lot. Let me tell you how I came to understand this scripture. This, this, this scripture dis, got distorted for me. I read it like this and I would read the actual text, but then I would actually interpret it like this, that God so hated sin, he was so mad at sin that he killed his son, Jesus, so that he wouldn't have to kill me. I guess I read this verse. That God was so angry at the bad decisions that I made because I'm a sinner that he had to kill his son, Jesus, so he wouldn't have to kill me. And I would think about this and I would think, man, whoever God is, he must be really, really mad because I do a lot of sinning. Like I was good at sinning before I came to Christ. I still am when I choose to be. And so I would read this and even though it, even though it said different words, my interpretation was, man, whoever God is, wherever he is, he must hate sin so much because he had to kill Jesus. But it doesn't actually say that at all. It says that God loves so much that it forced him to give up his son. And that in fact, at the center of the message of Jesus all over the world, in every country, in every culture, in every people group, in every generation, at the center of the Christian message is actually not an angry God, it's a generous God who so filled with love decided it would be better for him to offer up his son to redeem and restore that which he lost when you and I decided to rebel against him in the first place. And so it's important for us to return at Christmas time to the idea and the reality that God is actually not mad at sin. He actually took care of sin because he loves you so much he was willing to offer up his son. That's good news for all of us here this Christmas. But that's not just where I want to stay. I don't just want to talk about God loving us so he gave us Jesus. I want to talk about what that requires out of you and me. And so here's the title of this message tonight. You ready? It's two words. Love gives. Write that down. Love gives. I want to tell you a story about um, one of my Christmases a long time ago. And then I'm going to read a passage of scripture. And then I'm going to tell you about a guy. <clears throat> and then we're going to be done. My house growing up, we fell somewhere in the middle in that 90% where sometimes my dad had a good year doing business and we had a little extra. And so Christmas was kind of cool, right? Like 
There were years when we could get the game console. Back in the day, it was like the first time an Xbox came out. I know that seems like super ancient to you guys, but when the first, just straight up, when the first Xbox came out and Halo 1 came out, they haven't come up with a video game yet that's gone as hard as Halo, the first Halo did. So anyway, I don't know even what I'm talking about anymore. So um, so there were years where we had extra, right? Like my dad my dad had a good job for a little while, and it was like, it was awesome. We had, we had extra, and so we would get cool Christmas gifts. We looked forward to that, right? Like, you know, it's, it's okay to like getting good things when you can pay for them. But then there were other years, right? Like there were years where like my mom had a little side job too and it just wasn't working. And my dad's company downsized and they fired him. Like 30 years in the company, just let him go. It's, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people lost jobs around that time. But like they let him go and we just knew. Like we knew in my house, it was like this weird thing we didn't really talk about because we knew we didn't have any money. And I watched mom and dad like get like super, super stressed out about this and really sad because they knew like, man, we're just, we, we don't have anything to give. Like I can't afford to buy you anything for Christmas. And I remember feeling really weird, like some of you guys probably feel right now, like you maybe have mom and dad are in that situation, and you feel really weird, right, because you know they're going to try to get you something anyway, and it feels weird. And as a, I'm, as a dad now, like I'm telling you, if you don't understand that, one of the things that would help you tremendously in your life is develop some empathy for your mom and dad. I'm not saying like don't let them off the hook for everything because they need you to challenge them so they keep being good moms and dads. But it's really weird to be in a place where you really, you want to really do something for somebody, but you can't afford to, right? Like, that's a strange place to be. And I remember being that way in high school. Like, there was a Christmas when we didn't have anything. And, and like, I, it was, like, I needed a car. I needed a car, not just because I was in high school and I wanted a car. I needed a car because I was getting some really cool opportunities to do some extracurricular things. And there was no way, like, I knew there was no way my family could afford to get me a car. And, I needed a job, and so I got a job, and then my dad is having to take me to work and then pick me back up at like 9 o'clock at night. So I needed a, I needed a car to get around, right? And somebody had, so like some other family had to give my family a car so that I could get back and forth to work to pay for this job to like pay for stuff. And I remember in high school feeling like kind of embarrassed, you know, like, crap, somebody had to buy a car for me. This is so weird. And, you know, you're trying to be cool and do all this stuff, but, you know, you don't really have enough money to pay for your, I don't, you know, it's weird. It's just weird, like, social peer pressure dynamics. It's just weird. It is. It's a, it's a seasonal life thing. And I remember getting to Christmas time, and I just was, I was so fed up with the whole thing because I didn't really need anything, and I knew my mom and dad were already stressing, so I didn't want them to, like, go get another credit card just so they could get me some stuff for Christmas that I knew we couldn't afford. And my dad, I'm watching my dad, like, just, like, wrestle with this, you know. And he calls us one Christmas morning. My, my dad is amazing. You guys would love my dad. He, he does this Bible study every morning. And a long time ago, he was doing this Bible study, and he had this Bible study with a couple of guys that were homeless here, here in Anderson. And every morning, when he got fired from his job, he just decided, all right, I'm just going to go every morning. I'm just going to pick these guys up. And I'm going to use my free time to go start a Bible study with these homeless guys. Like, why not? I got time. And so he goes to start this Bible study. And there's this one guy who is homeless. And he calls my dad somehow on Christmas morning. And we wake up. And, man, we're just like, there's kind of like no life in the house, you know. Because we know, like, we're going to go get, like, some socks, and underwear for Christmas, which now that I'm an adult, like, it's all I want is socks and underwear for Christmas, because that way I don't have to go buy them myself, so, um, and we just know, you know, like, you wake up, and there's no real excitement, there's kind of, like, some sadness, and it's this weird thing we're kind of looking at, and my dad calls, and my brother was home from college, 
He's like, hey, look, I'm going to get this guy. He is going to come spend Christmas morning with us. Go out in the living room, get some of your crap on the couch, wrap it up, and, and like wrap it up in a gift box, and give, we're going to give it to him. Like, take all your presents, and we're going to give them to him because you don't need anything, and we don't have that much anyway. It's like some socks and some stuff from Walmart, so just like put it in a bag, and we're just going to give it to him. And I remember going from being really not excited about not really getting anything for Christmas to being really wigged out that now this homeless dude was getting ready to come spend Christmas morning with us to absolutely thrilled out of my mind taking this stuff that I didn't actually need and getting it to, to repurpose it for somebody who actually did. And... And I remember we sat on the couch and we just watched for like an hour as this dude who was like 55 years old, didn't have any family. He spent Christmas morning with us and he opened socks and underwear and it was like the best day of his life, you know? And I remember thinking, God, what is so freaking wrong with us where we're so we just, we're greedy, man. We're, we, we have to have, it's about us. And none of us really want to be that way. I believe that. I, I think that there's something about us being made in the image of God where we know it when we see it, right? Like we, we see a need and we, or we, we see somebody being bullied or we, we, we see it happening and we have this split second where we get to decide, are we going to actually do something about it? Or am I just going to play the card of like, well, God, God just take care of it, right? And I remember being 16, 17 years old and watching something in my heart just break and I haven't been able to fix it. And I'm so glad that I haven't been able to fix it. Because then what happened was I went off and I got a real big boy job. And I got a big boy car, and I got a big boy savings account, and I started saving thousands of dollars, and then tens of thousands of dollars. You can do that when you get a job and you live super cheap. I was the king of that. I used to make hot dog quesadillas. I'll tell you about it one day. It's amazing. I was living super cheap. I would get my paycheck, okay? I would tithe 10%. I would put 10% into my checking account, and then I would put 80% into my savings account every month. 80%. I did this for years. So that I could start my marriage off with thousands of dollars. My wife, it was amazing, right? It was awesome. So then what happens is I buy a house. And then I sold that house and made some money. So I bought another house, a nicer house. And then I sold that one. So we bought another house, a nicer house. It was awesome. And what's happened along the way is there's been these times in my life where I would sell something. And I'd have, I'd look at my savings account. And I'm like, whoa, there's a lot of money in there. And God would say, yeah, man, I'm about to connect you with somebody who has a real need. And you're going to have to come to grips again with whether or not you actually believe that I loved, so I gave. And I have been able to now, at 28 years old, write checks with a lot of zeros on the end of them to people who actually needed something. And guess what? It sucks every time. Because you know what happens if you don't write that check or give that thing away? You get to keep it and do what you want with it. But I learned this lesson from my dad who was jobless 
who knew if I don't use this opportunity to teach my sons that there's something in life that's bigger than just your incessant need to gather more and more and more and more, they might not actually ever learn this lesson. And I'm telling y'all, man, something is freaking broken in me to where I just want to give now. And I can't because I have two kids and I'm poor again. But I, one of these days, man, when my kids get out of my house and I got money, I'm going to give so much away. It's going to be awesome. And in the first century, there's this guy named John who wrote the other book we talked about. And this is like 70 years after Jesus has died, resurrected, and ascended to heaven. And John's writing letters to the church. And he's going, I know you guys don't have a Bible. I know that you don't really get together and read the Gospels because they don't really exist yet. But I need to instruct your behavior. Because before there was a Bible and really cool songs and really sharp teaching and really nice lights and a stage and an auditorium, there was none of that. There was just people and there was a word that Jesus, who had resurrected from the dead and ascended to heaven 70 years ago, that he was real, he was king, he was Lord, and we're still followers of him today. There were people who believed that. Not only that, there was an emperor. His name was Diocletian. He was the, the ruler of the Roman Empire, and he hated Christians. And so here's the deal. There were so many Christians in prison, they didn't have space for actual criminals. Nero, who was the first emperor of the Roman Empire after Jesus died, I think that's right, fact check me on that, that's pretty right. He hated Christians so bad, he had a garden where he threw parties, and he would take Christians and tie them to poles and light them on fire as human torches as entertainment for his parties, because he hated Christians. Why? Because they freaking loved each other. They loved each other so much that their message kept spreading everywhere. They were like fleas. He couldn't get rid of them. Every time he killed one of them, 10 more would pop up. They didn't have a Bible. They didn't have big church buildings. They didn't have protect. They didn't have anything. All they had was love for each other. And John sees this 100 AD, and he writes this letter in the book of 1 John, chapter 3, verse 16. He says this, by this we know love, that he's reminding them that Jesus laid down his life for us so we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and the sisters. He's talking about for the other believers, for the Christians. We ought to lay down our lives for them. And by the way, when he writes this, he's not saying some pretty metaphor. He's not saying metaphorically you should lay your life down. He's saying, no, no, no. You need to give your life up so they can have some. He's saying, you want to make sure this message of Christianity actually makes it? Then don't make it about what you believe. Make it about what you do. And here we are in 2019, getting ready to be 2020. And Christianity just seems to be, it's all, this sounds silly, it sounds like I'm joking, but it almost seems these days like Christianity is like a vibe. Right, like it's a way to feel. It's like a way, to, it's like love, man. It's like a way to think about things. But you know, for, for the early Christians, Christianity was like, it was their life. That's how the message got here. And he says this in verse, in verse uh, 16, if anyone has the world's goods. Now, you, you have to, we have to read this verse of scripture and we have to not try to, don't, don't sanitize this. You know, hand sanitizer, it like keeps you from getting most of the germs, you only get like some of the germs. Don't sanitize your soul right here. Get all the germs from this Bible verse. If anyone has the world's goods and he sees his brother in need, yet he closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? That's a black and white Bible verse that when I read it, it's like, I, it's like I just jumped, it's like I did the polar plunge to my soul. 
You ever gotten in freezing cold water and like your whole body's just like wide awake? You're like, oh my God, I'm feeling everything. That's what happens when I read this verse. He says, if you have things, if you have extra, if you have riches, if you have, th- if you have two jackets and you ride the bus with somebody who doesn't have a jacket and you see that they're cold and you decide to not give him your extra jacket, how can you say that God's love is in you? And we need to read that and weep. I need to read that and go home and be forced to look in the mirror at the guy that closes his heart at the need around him. Because people are leaving church and people are walking away from views and walking away from Bible studies because we have a ton of rich people who don't seem to care. And we want to be a good believer that has all the right things in mind. We don't want to do anything. And I'm talking to me. I'm trying to wake myself up. Little children, don't love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Don't talk about it. Be about it. I swear to you, we can flip the entire culture of South Carolina on its head in one generation. It's not going to take 100 years. It's not going to take... It's not going to take $25 million. It's not. It's going to take the people that are listening to this right now deciding you're going to love people with your stuff, not just with your thoughts. We got to stop showing up to prayer meetings, asking God to set us on fire, and then walking out and not doing anything about the fire that he's put inside of us. John says, don't love people with your words only. Love them by doing stuff for them. Throw this picture up on the screen. I want to show you this, and then we're going we're to be done tonight. This is Nicholas of Myra. He was a 4th century bishop in a southeastern Asian, what's now Turkey, city. And Nicholas was raised by two extremely wealthy parents, raised a very devout Christian And then he died. His parents died at a really early age. They left him with a fortune. And he is kind of trying to be raised on his own. And he just gets, he gets just dunked in the love of God, man. Like he gets swept up in it. And particularly a verse of scripture where Jesus tells this rich young ruler, you need to sell everything you have. You need to give it away to the poor and you need to come and follow me. And he takes this command from Jesus, not as like this cool ethereal suggestion, but rather that he actually needs to do something about this. And so what he does is he spends the rest of his life giving away his parents' fortune. He's giving it away to people, sick people, needy people. And there's this one story that's recorded of him in the town where he was the bishop. Um, In these days in the the Roman Empire, um, if a young lady was going to be married, then it, she likely needed her father to be wealthy. Because as a young man came to court this young lady, the dad would have to offer up a dowry, a bride price. Because it was, it was a lot more difficult to take a wife into your family because you had to have like the farmland to support her. And the, you know, you, it just was more difficult. Okay, so if I was to come and court a, a young lady, her father would need to offer me a price to marry her. So basically, if you had a father who didn't have money, you likely would not end up being married. 
And that meant that you were sold as a slave to another Roman family, not slave like we have in our horrible context. It wasn't great, but it was very different, like an indentured servant. Like you had to go and work for this family because you had to be provided for, you had to be taken care of somehow. And there's this dad in the town where he's grown up and he's poor and he's got three daughters. And what Nicholas does is he takes some gold from his parents' fortune and he puts it in bags and he snuck into this dad's house and he put this gold in these bags in some stockings that they had hanging above their fireplace to dry. And he paid the bride price for each of this dad's three daughters so that they could, he could have something to offer to somebody who would come and marry these girls. And so eventually he gets sainted inside the church and he becomes Saint Nicholas. And legends are told through the first six, seven hundred years of churches all over the world that there was this man who was so in love with God that he made his whole life's work about giving to others. And then you may have heard it shortened to Saint Nick, and then it somehow becomes this strange thing of Santa Claus where this fat man comes to your chimney and eats your cookies and gives you things if you're good. And you've heard of Santa Claus. But even our own carnal greedy holidays started with a guy who was so enamored with the love of God that he gave a fortune away to people. So here's what we're going to do. We're not just going to sing. We are going to sing. We're not just going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to do something about it. Who's in? Raise your hand. Say, I'm in. Okay. Here's why. At 16, 17, 18 years old, it is deathly important that you develop now habits of giving and generosity. You have, it's a muscle that you have to work out right now so that when you're my age and then you're 10 years older than me and then you're in your 50s and 60s, that when you get to that age, giving is like a natural reflex. So here's what we're doing. If you're in a fuse group tonight, your fuse group is gonna get a box. If you're not in a fuse group, you can get a box yourself and do this with your friends, your family, or you can do this with some other people that are here. And we are calling these the Love Gives Boxes. And this box has nothing inside of it, okay? It's an empty box. We just got them because it's cheaper to buy a bunch of them and get them bulk shipped here. So you will get one of these. And here's what we're gonna challenge you to do. You're in school and at work and on the bus and on the basketball team and in all sorts of places with people who need things like they need stuff they need help some of them it's financial and you know who they are and they probably dress a certain way look a certain way they probably hang their head and act weird socially because they're kind of embarrassed most of the time you know who they are others it's not a financial need it's an emotional need we had some pretty gnarly stuff happen over the last few weeks with some people lose some really, really important people in their life. Some people have an emotional need. So we're going to ask you to get together with your group over the next couple of days, do it whenever you can. And I want you to fill your box with things that are going to show people around you, not just tell them that you love Jesus. You don't have to write in there like, here's 10 bucks to Starbucks, man, give your life to Christ, you know. Just do it. Just love them because that's what we do. Because how could we have the world's goods and see a brother in need, shut our heart toward him, 
and then say that God's love isn't enough. It just doesn't work. So, the opportunity's clear. You're gonna get the box at your campus tonight. They're here in the room. I think the message is clear. The Bible's certainly clear. The only thing that's undecided is whether or not you're actually gonna let a broken heart given to you by God motivate you to do something different this year for somebody else. You can't imagine what happens when you're willing. You could be, listen, listen, I get it. If you're like me in high school, you have negative money in your checking account. You have no, you have absolutely no money. Don't give them money. Don't find, get creative. Find something to do. Find, find something. Find, some of you have, you know, you have a cool shirt that you people talk about all the time. Give it away to somebody. You have an extra pair of shoes. Find somebody that wears the same size shoe that you have and give them to them. You have a video game that you don't play anymore that somebody else would use. Give them that. Get, write them a note. Some of you girls, some of, the, some of the things that you could do is you could find this girl that just doesn't, no friend group will let her in. And not only do you let her in, you all write her insane notes that let her know how awesome she is. Get creative. You're amazingly creative people. But I'm challenging you to take this box and get with your community of people and do something that challenges you, that makes you uncomfortable, that stretches you, that proves to the people around you that you're not just loving them with your words or with your thoughts, but you're gonna put your money and your stuff where your mouth is and you're gonna show them what love is. Are you in? All right, then let's pray. And then we'll sing a little bit, but we're not going to end like we typically do with just a song. We are gonna sing, but I, I wanna actually, I wanna do some, I want us to pray. And I want us to pray because the Holy Spirit is able to move your heart in such a way that you couldn't, even if you put all your strength behind it. And so I want to take a couple of minutes here. And I want to pray for you. And then when I say amen, I want you at every campus to just find some space. And I want you to ask God to show you how you can make a difference. Ask him to show you somebody around that actually needs something. Ask him to miraculously provide you with something so you have something to give. Ask him to, you know, bring a conversation your way that will clue you in on what you're supposed to do for somebody. Just please, please, please do not sit there and let your heart grow callous toward the things that are around you. So let me pray. When I say amen, you take a couple minutes, you can pray in your seat. You can go find somewhere else in your auditorium. You can pray on the floor and then we'll sing and we'll get our boxes on the way out. So God, thank you that every time we spend energy thinking about the extravagance of the love that you gave to us, it just snatches us back into reality every time. God, I'm, I'm so thankful that no matter how selfish we get, even when we don't want to, even when it just comes out of us naturally, that you so lovingly, so relentlessly chase us down and call us back to this narrow way of doing life that puts your glory at the forefront and the good of our community around us in front of us. God, I am, I am begging, would you break our hearts so wide open for the people around us that we couldn't help ourselves but do something? I pray, God, that we as a ministry 
would be known in our communities as people who don't just talk about it, but we do it. We give. We give and then we ask questions. We give and then we try to figure out how to make it up. We, God, I pray, for a, I pray for a return of first century Christian generosity that swept its way through the Roman Empire as people just decided, you know what, I got plenty. Who can I give some away to? God, I pray that you would open the floodgates of heaven and that we would have some insane financial provision for some young people as they start to set their minds on careers and colleges and opportunities in the next season of life. And they stop just thinking, how do I get the most for me? But how do I do such good in my community that it's evident that I'm with God? God, we want nothing besides your love to invade 